Welcome to Understanding the Bible with Pastor Stephen, episode number 19, Proof of Jesus' Resurrection. And happy Easter to you. I just thought this was a good topic to cover um, because a lot of people tend to think that we must have a blind faith. And when we talk about the resurrection, which is a human impossibility of Jesus coming back to life, it is supernatural. It is a miracle. It is something that is extremely hard to believe. That is why I thought it would be good to share uh, the evidences that we do have as far as uh, defending the faith and believing that Jesus was actually more than a man. So uh, let's start with the fact that uh, Jesus died. If you Google Roman crucifixion back in that time period, it was very brutal. Uh, The crucifixion, what they did to people before they nailed them to crosses would kill most people. Uh, without being cared for in a hospital. Then when you nailed their arms and legs to a cross, it just made everything worse and they died faster. Most people in crucifixion, they would literally use the nails in their wrists to grind their bones against the nails and yank themselves up just to gasp for a breath of air. And then they would fall back down, rip their tendons and their muscles even more, and literally hang by the two bones of their arms. It was brutal. It was vicious. It was barbaric. It was a torturous way to die. What they did to Jesus was they found that he was already dead, if you read the account in uh, the scriptures, and they, they would normally break the legs of people so that they would no longer be able to push themselves up with their ankles, and they would asphyxiate faster. Because, you know, then they would die within two or three minutes from lack of oxygen. They saw that Jesus was already dead. And these soldiers were basically executioners. They knew what a dead person looked like. And the one soldier decided to make sure that Christ was dead. And he thrust a spear up into his side. And the Bible records that blood and water flowed out of Jesus's side, out of that wound. So if you look at the normal process of human beings dying, the blood actually does separate. I don't know the scientific terminology there, but like the hemoglobin or or maybe the plasma separates and you're left with the water. Your, Your blood after you are dead actually does separate. And so when he stabbed that spear into Jesus' side and water and blood flowed out, That was additional proof, not just the centurion's knowledge of death, but actual physical proof that Jesus had already passed on and they had killed Jesus Christ. So let's look at the proofs of his resurrection. Number one, when you read about uh, Jesus's resurrection and and the Roman army and things like that, the Roman soldiers... uh, Typical of any military, but they were the most disciplined military of their time. They were liable for their orders, meaning when they were given a duty, if they didn't carry it out, or if that duty was not accomplished, whatever it may have been, guarding something or putting someone to death or whatever, the Roman centurion that was in charge of that, the Roman guards, those people were actually held responsible to the point of punishment. So if somebody was supposed to die, 
and they escaped, the guard that was responsible for it would be put to death in that prisoner's place. So these Roman soldiers were extremely careful to do their duty. Think about that in the next passage when we talk about the Roman soldiers guarding this tomb of Jesus. So in the scriptures, when it talks about the tomb of Jesus, uh, you can look at Matthew 27, starting in verse 60. It says, They laid him in a new tomb, which had been hewn out of a rock, and he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. It says in verse 62, Now the next day that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said, While he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead. So the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, You have a watch. Go your way, make it as sure as you can. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. So it is very important to understand that they had set guards, Roman guards, over that tomb, and they had sealed the tomb. So what that meant was if these guards let the body escape, they were in danger of whatever judgment their next in command decided to pass down, whether it was death or losing their arms because something had been stolen. I don't know. So there is no way that the Romans would allow the disciples to steal the body of Jesus to fake a resurrection. Rome had had so much trouble with the Jews and the nation of Israel. They did not need a resurrected Christ to help overthrow their government. They would not allow that to happen. So the Romans would make sure that there was no way that people would think Jesus had risen from the dead. So you can be rest assured that the Roman soldiers and Rome itself, the government, would have given any proof to the contrary if they had any. So there were Roman soldiers there that saw what took place, that nobody came and took the body, that nobody came out of the tomb. Jesus just disappeared from inside of the tomb. That in itself, from human reasoning, should show you that the government of Rome and the Roman soldiers believed Jesus was actually resurrected, or they would have put forth the evidence and written about it, that Jesus was not resurrected, his disciples came and stole the body, or whatever, you know, story may have happened. So that is a very important thing just from human reasoning, to understand the government of Rome and the way the soldiers um, were dedicated to their job. All right, and then uh, one of the other things that we know, again, from Rome to prove that Jesus was resurrected is uh, Josephus. He was one of the most comprehensive secular writers of the first century. He was a Jewish historian that was employed by three different Roman emperors. He wrote a book called Jewish Antiquities, uh, which is where there are two references where it specifically addresses Jesus's resurrection and his life and works. He explained in um, the writings of Josephus the Roman uh, death sentence of crucifixion that Jesus had, Jesus's resurrection, the new tribe of Christians, he called them, who were still around, that was made up of Jews and Greeks. 
And for him as a paid historian to write these details in two different excerpts from his book, being paid by the Roman government who hated the Jews, treated the Jews as slaves, and then ultimately went and ransacked their cities and destroyed the Jews, there would be no reason for him to lie. And there would be no way that the Roman emperors would allow that lie to be put into print and to be copied down and for him to still be employed. So that is the biggest thing from history that we have as to the proof of Jesus's resurrection. If you don't count the Bible, if you're like, oh, the Bible doesn't mean anything, you know, well, here's the number one most comprehensive Roman historian talking about Jesus's resurrection and the Christians that followed him. And if you won't take a Roman historian's word for it from the first century, then like, who would you believe? I don't think you would believe it if Jesus himself came and appeared to you and spoke to you and told you I'm Jesus. Like, there's no convincing you if you can't believe those documents. And of course, then we do have the Bible. So we know that uh, of the 12 disciples, 11 or 10 of them were tortured and killed for the name of Jesus Christ because they preached the word of God and they would not back down when they were told to. Think about that fact that they saw Jesus alive. They preached about it. They were arrested. Some of them were just hunted down and tortured. If they knew that Jesus had not been resurrected from the dead, if they had stolen his body and they were lying just to get a following of people, it's one thing to preach and go to people's houses and convince people of a lie, right? But I don't know of anybody in human history, in humankind, that would ever be tortured for something that they know is a lie. So if the disciples had decided to perpetuate a myth that Jesus was risen from the dead, they would have stopped that lie at the moment they started being tortured. Now, the biggest thing about this is it wasn't just one guy. It was 10 of the disciples. So let's go into it. Peter was crucified upside down. James was killed by the sword. Acts 12.1 says, Now about that time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James the brother of John with the sword. John, the guy who wrote Revelations, after several failed attempts to kill him, by the Romans, was exiled to the island of Patmos, where he wrote the last book of the Bible. These others were martyred in many different ways. They were stabbed, stoned, sawn in half while they're alive, a saw cutting through their body, telling them, you know, repent, admit that you've lied, and none of them recanted their faith. They were shot through with arrows, they were tortured, and then beheaded, some of them. So we have uh, Paul, who was killed in uh, 66 or 67 uh, AD depends on your math on that, but that's recorded in Roman literature. Um, you have Andrew, Philip, and the other Philip, Bartholomew, who is also called Nathaniel, Matthew, Thomas, James, Simon, the other Judas, Judas Thaddeus. Judas Iscariot was the one who hung himself for betraying Jesus. So that left 11. And then you have uh, Matthias and Paul. People are not sure which one 
of those Matthias or Paul replaced Judas Iscariot as uh, the 12th disciple. So there's debates about that. But regardless, both of them were martyred uh, for Christ. So this is a pretty emphatic proof that the story that they told about Jesus raising from the dead was one that they believed wholeheartedly. They knew in their heart that he was alive and they were tortured and killed for that belief. So why would they believe that? Well, then you have to look at the Bible because they actually tell you why they believe that. So starting in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 through 8, and this is Paul writing this. He says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain until this time, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. Paul saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, and we'll give you that account here in just a minute. That's another scripture verse. But he is accounting for the different people who saw Jesus after he was risen from the dead. You have an eyewitness telling you that other eyewitnesses have told him these things. Cephas, the 12 apostles or disciples. After that, he was seen of 500 brothers and sisters in Christ. Many of them he had personally spoken with because he says of the greater part are still alive to this day, but some are dead. Then James, and then of the other apostles, and of course of himself. And then Luke 24, 24 says, And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher, or tomb, and found it even so as the women had said. And then the eleven saw him as well. So it says, Behold, Jesus appeared to the eleven in a room, and he said, Behold my hands and my feet, and that it is I myself handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. So there were some who went to the sepulcher to prove that it was empty, and it was, as the women had told them. And then he was seen of the eleven in this room, and he spoke to them. And this is Luke writing this account. So that's the second manuscript, a second eyewitness who wrote these things down, in addition to the extra biblical one from Josephus, the Roman historian. So now we have three people of that time period personally writing down that they had seen Jesus. Then you have John, John 20, 24, the fourth person writing down physically that they had seen. So you have four eyewitness accounts. But Thomas, one of the twelve, also called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came into that room. And after eight days again, his disciples were in the room and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and just stood in the midst. And he said, Peace be unto you. Then said he to Thomas, Reach hither your finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither your hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. So he's saying, Look at the holes in my hands, and then put your hand in the hole in my side where the spear went, and believe. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God, Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. This is where we get the whole phrase, the doubting Thomas. 
well, don't be a doubting Thomas, you know, when you're trying to tell a story and get someone to believe it. That is a common phrase used throughout all the Western world because that is a known true story written down by John who actually saw it happen. All right. Then we have another account from Matthew, Matthew 28, verse one through nine. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, and this is right after the resurrection. So nobody had seen Jesus yet. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the woman, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him, lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Now he heard this, Matthew heard this from Mary and the other Mary. And they told him and he wrote it down. So we have yet another two more eyewitnesses who are telling their story. Then you have Paul. This is the one who wrote earlier. And I was going to tell you about the road to Damascus. So his name was Saul. He was going to actually hunt down Christians, imprison them, and kill them. And on the way there, he met Jesus. And this is, we're talking after, long after Jesus had gone back to heaven. Acts 9, verse 3 through 5. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Paul is writing a firsthand count of what he heard, a voice from heaven, saying, I am Jesus. So that one is very interesting, because that just proved that when Jesus went back to heaven, he was still alive, and he was still able to communicate to people. Physically, audibly, he was able to communicate with people. And then in the book of Revelations, John, while he was on the island of Patmos, uh, stated that he heard Jesus. So at the very beginning of the book, he writes what Jesus says. And it's Revelations 1, 17 and 19. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, John says. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and of death. So this was Jesus in his resurrected body showing himself to John. So, so many eyewitness accounts. It just boggles the mind. And then the historical account, two of them. It just boggles the mind that people still think Jesus was not a real person, let alone that he died on the cross with all the Roman records and, and on all the Jewish records that we have of that, those facts. And then that he rose from the dead. There's so many accounts of people seeing Jesus afterwards, him speaking, him talking, him eating, him touching, 
all the things that a human being does, and extra miracles that he did, appearing in a room without coming through the, you know, without opening the closed door and things like that, that shows his resurrected body that he's he's spiritual as well as physical. A great spiritual truth of the resurrected body of Jesus Christ that is yet a miracle and unexplainable without a faith in God. So ultimately the conclusion is we know Jesus rose from the dead and John 11, 25 and 26, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And that's speaking of the second death in hell. Two, we know that those who believe in Christ will rise from the dead just like Christ did. 1 Corinthians 15, I encourage you to read the whole chapter. It's amazing, especially when you read the timeline at the end of it. But verse 20 to 22 says, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept or died. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So if Christ rose from the dead, we have the hope of rising from the dead. And the final point here is we were destined for hell because of our sin nature. But the fact that Jesus resurrected himself, rose from the dead as God after paying for our sins, allows us to have that salvation in heaven. So these verses are called the Romans Road and explains everything we've talked about and even more. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We cannot make it to heaven on our own. We are destined for hell. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wage is something we have earned. It is not God condemning us to hell. We have earned hell because of our sin. Then the most important word, I think, in almost the entire Bible is this three-letter word that comes next. But, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We do not have to go to hell if we merely accept the gift of eternal life. And Romans 10.9 says, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Period. That's it. Confess with your mouth and actually believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That resurrection from the dead is proof that he is God. It is proof of his promise that we can live resurrected in new bodies in heaven. That resurrection is everything to us. So we can be confident in the facts of the resurrection, in the eyewitness accounts of the resurrection, in the historical record of the resurrection. We can be confident in our faith and live knowing that we will be in heaven one day because of Jesus Christ. The resurrection is hard fact. It is not myth. It is not made up religious hocus pocus. The truth of the resurrection is recorded in history forever. God bless you all and have a happy Easter.